We had one swarm that was 60 kilometers by 40 kilometers in Kenya. That's, uh, that's uh, the size of a huge city. Imagine the city of New York that have the sky covered with desert locusts. That's the size of, of clouds that we get. That's Cyril Ferran. He's the resilience team leader in East Africa for the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. And months before COVID-19 spread across the world, Cyril had a front row seat for a different international outbreak. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, we're talking about the world's most dangerous migratory pest, the desert locust. It's having a good year, and that's really bad news for a huge number of people. The worst locust crisis in decades is ravaging East Africa. A literal plague of locusts. Billions of them ravaging Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia. The United Nations says locust swarms are threatening the food supply of millions. What's proving to be the worst infestation in over half a century has threatened food supplies and farmland across Ethiopia, Kenya, Somalia, Eritrea, and Yemen. And the swarms are still growing. And that means the UN is warning that millions of people could face what it calls severe acute food insecurity in the coming months. In a day, a desert locust can eat its weight in leafy greens. The bugs flock in the billions, devouring crops and grazing plots everywhere they go. Cyril is part of the effort to get the swarms under control. It's a huge task. And it's time critical. If left uncontrolled, the swarms are predicted to grow 500 times more by June. He said even now, standing in one of these swarms is surreal. When they are not at the, the stage of flying, but uh, when they are at the younger stage, at the stage of hopper, hopper bands, then it looks like a moving carpet. You have this number of, uh, of small locusts which are not yet flying, and they are really like a marching army with millions and millions of uh, small locusts on the ground that are moving. And it's quite impressive, I have to say. Impressive, but also clearly you don't scare easily because just watching the videos, I was getting goosebumps. Well, they are not aggressive to human beings. I mean, they are they are feeding obviously on the, on vegetation, uh, and whatever is green is what they will be targeting. So, uh, but it's true when you are in the middle of these clouds and they are flying all over. Uh, it's a very strange feeling to have uh, such a high density of very visible animals uh, surrounding us. So, yeah, it is impressive. You can see these swarms in videos online and in news reports. And they are jaw-dropping. Imagine a living, flying cloud of grasshoppers, so dense it blocks out the sun. And this is what makes them so destructive and unpredictable. Usually, desert locusts are solitary. But sometimes, and scientists don't really understand why, something flips a switch for a population. And they start to group up into these swarms. And the swarms breed more swarms. 
They are extremely voracious when they are at the stage of uh, immature swarms. But before they are mature, they are like a teenager, if you want. I mean, I don't know if you have teenagers, but they are turbulent. <laughs> they, are, they are moving a lot, you know, they are very demanding. <laughs> and that's exactly what we have with desert locusts. We have these very hyperactive swarms uh, that are eating their own weight um, of biomass every day. And what makes them unique as well is the speed of reproduction. The life cycle of a locust is three months on average, and within this period of three months, they multiply by around 20. And if we don't control them within the next three months, then they will multiply again by another 20 times, which means 20 times 20, which means that in the six-month period, we could have 400 times uh, the initial uh, uh, generation. The magnitude of the problem is so big that it requires really a multi-country approach because it impacts potentially millions of people in the region. Cyril explained to us that locusts aren't abnormal to the region. What is abnormal are the sizes of these locust swarms that are wreaking havoc on vegetation. One swarm was so dense that it covered the cockpit window of an Ethiopian Airlines jet forcing the pilot to change course. So why is it so bad right now? Experts say climate change may have something to do with it. Desert locusts favor wet, moist soil to lay their eggs in. And the last rainy season brought just that. An unprecedented amount of cyclones and heavy rains hit the Arabian Peninsula, creating the perfect conditions to fuel the locust population. And because they reproduce so rapidly, the constant rain meant cycles of locusts laying eggs, then hatching and devouring all the crops in their path, and then migrating to the next location. The way Cyril describes it, it's like a spreading disease. You know, it's very interesting when we look at the spread. I mean, in 2019, because the primary cyclones that arrived uh, in the region, these frontline countries include Sudan, it includes Eritrea, uh, and this was already starting in, in these countries. But in December 2019, it went out of control, out of proportion, with a new cyclone, Cyclone Pawan, that created a super favorable conditions for the breeding of desert locusts throughout the region. So initially, in December, January, we started to look at three countries, Kenya, Somalia, Ethiopia, and we put two other countries on alert, and these were South Sudan and Uganda. Soon after, we had to place Eritrea and Djibouti on the control operation as well. We shifted to Tanzania, and then uh, later on, beginning of March, we added up Sudan and we added up Yemen. So we have now 10 countries that are directly involved in the control, and we are very concerned by two other regions. One is southern Iran and Pakistan, where we have already also big concentration of desert locusts. And, and let's not uh, forgetting that Pakistan is one of the breadbasket for the region. And then we are also starting to watch seriously the Sahel region again, so we have to look also more globally from, I would say, Senegal, Mauritania, up uh, to India. Think about that. These swarms could stretch from Senegal on the west coast of Africa all the way to India. A swarm that covers just one square kilometer of land can eat the same amount of food in a single day as 35,000 people. And parts of East Africa are about to get their second wave of locust swarms. 
Catherine Soy is Al Jazeera's correspondent in Kitwe County, Kenya, which has already been hit hard this year. She talked to farmers there who are afraid of having another harvest destroyed. Most of last season's crop in this area was destroyed by the locusts. The long rains are starting and farmers are afraid if they don't clear the breeding grounds of the insects quickly, then their farmland is going to be destroyed again. Mary Karemi lost most of her harvests. She only got one sack of grain, down from the five sacks she usually harvests. I have children, and I had to sell the sack of green grams for school fees. Now I'm buying food, and it's very expensive. So how do you control an outbreak like this? Cyril said it's a huge challenge, in part because a lot of the countries that are being hit hardest right now haven't had to fight swarms like these in decades. I mean, governments are in the driving seats. It has to be with them. First of all, because we are dealing with pesticides. We cannot give pesticide in the hand on, of, of everyone. Governments have little expertise or experience. Most of the countries in the region have not seen desert locusts for several decades. 70 years in Kenya, 25 years in Ethiopia and Somalia, for example, or 60 years in Uganda. So obviously there is a generational gap of people who are, who are used to uh, control desert locusts in the region. So obviously we need to provide, uh, to provide support on, on the control strategy. It's uh, providing all the, all the necessary support on all the workers who are on the ground uh, with the right protective equipment. The other thing that is quite important is to know exactly what kind of control methods according to the life cycle of desert locusts. We, we are not going to use the same equipment or the same approach if we are talking about upper bands or if we are talking about uh, flying swarms. It's now three months we are within the operation. We are the second generation of desert locusts in Kenya, but also Ethiopia, Somalia. And we, despite the control and the scale of operation, the, the magnitude of the problem remains extremely, extremely uh, serious. And we are now entering into, uh, into the farming and the planting season. So uh, the concern is about, is about it, is uh, what kind of uh, harvest do people secure this year um, with the desert locusts being so active and so present in the region? So you mentioned the spraying of pesticides and making sure those are in line with uh, international regulations. But can you talk to us about the method of spraying? What is that like in getting these uh, this swarm reduced and getting it under control? Yeah, so a, a control operation, how, how does it look like? If we are spraying pesticide, it means that the pesticide needs to touch the locust because we are spraying uh, ultra-low volume of pesticides. We are talking about small droplets that we are spraying. If it's too hot, before these uh, droplets or the pesticide will reach the ground, it will evaporate if it's too hot. If there is too much wind, then the pesticide, the droplets, will never reach the ground. If we fly too high, the same, it will evaporate before it touches the ground. So we need pilots that are trained on how to operate. 
And then, uh, obviously, we are preparing communities before spraying. Uh, we don't spray over, over villages, over communities, obviously. We don't want to spray over their livestock, uh, obviously. So these are the measures uh, that are part of the sensitization campaign to make sure that people do understand that, uh, that we are going to, to, to spray pesticide and that they need to be away from uh, the spraying areas. Sidia says spraying isn't the only way to control the swarms. His team is also running surveillance to provide governments with early warning signs of where locusts might strike next. So in, in the life cycle of, uh, of desert locusts, when they reach maturity, that's the moment where they are desperate to lay their eggs uh, underground. These desert locusts are going to lay eggs two, three times or four times before dying. When they lay eggs, what is very interesting is the capacity they do have. They are really survivors, if you want. They will lay eggs deep in the soil um, and uh, you don't see it. But that's where surveillance is very important because when, when you observe the area where they will basically reach maturity and lay eggs, you know that's where you will need to start the control 10 days or two weeks later. So that's very, very important to, to be able to spot and to georeference all these areas of the mature swarms that is guiding you for the, for the next control. Because if we don't control them, then we have a 20 times bigger generation that is coming out of the ground uh, 10 days later. I want to dive in a little deeper because I imagine this is extremely difficult for countries that are already vulnerable and face food shortages. So how are they doing? What's the situation for farmers right now? In, in the Greater Horn of Africa, we have 20 million people that are acutely food insecure. What does that mean? It means that these 20 million people are the ones that are facing huge challenges to meet their daily food intake. So, and this is due to uh, uh, climate, climate extremes, uh, flood, droughts. So obviously this is impacting seriously on farmers' capacity to produce, but also on, on the pastoral communities. So during a drought event where there is no water to drink for livestock and no grass for the animals, that's where we have the peak of malnutrition shooting very, very high. So we had this situation since 2016 um, of uh, climate hazard and climate extremes. Then these factors together, that create this huge amount of people that are acutely food insecure, 20 million people. Now, desert locust is an additional layer or an additional exacerbating factor that will further uh, compound the, the, the situation uh, by uh, reducing production and uh, access to rangeland, for example, uh, in, the, in the coming season. So what happens if countries aren't able to get this under control? If we don't get it under control, we will see an increase in the number of people that are falling under the caseload of humanitarian assistance. That's very clear. At the moment, this scenario, we are able to control. The rainy season is good. And therefore, the impact on livelihood is relatively limited. We are talking about an increased caseload of half a million people in the region that are going to be uh, acutely food insecure, in addition to the 20 million. In the mid-case scenario, we could have 
2 million people affected. And in the worst case scenario, we could have 4 million people affected. So basically the humanitarian situation in the region could be shifting in a worst case scenario from 20 million to 24 million people that are acutely food insecure. So that's a significant increase um, uh, given the fact that we also have to deal with the impact of COVID-19 and, uh, and, uh, and of course uh, this is going also to influence uh, the humanitarian assistance that uh, this region uh, is going to receive. Because you mentioned COVID-19, let's talk about that. Because with this global pandemic right now, how is that hampering or, or disrupting efforts to fight the locusts? It has an impact. We cannot, uh, we cannot deny it. Um, for us, the, the desert locust operation started in January. Um, so we received already a number of equipment, a number of people before the lockdown. So wherever we have the equipment and the resources, we can operate. What is the current impact is on the supply chain, obviously. Pesticide, there is an increased delay due to air cargo or to air freight disruption. So yes, it has an impact on disruption of supply of pesticide and spraying equipment. It has an impact on people. We cannot bring at the moment uh, additional international experts because uh, there is no plane to bring them in. And even though if they were able to come, they would have to observe quarantine and therefore there will be a delay between the moment they are landing and the moment they could operate. And likewise, on the, the personal protective equipment, the kits, the clothes, the gears that, uh, that we want uh, people on the ground to use, you can imagine that uh, the global competition for this protective equipment is huge. And obviously, it goes at the moment uh, to medical workers and health workers, and that's, that's what should happen. So these are, these are the kind of uh, either delay um, or difficulties that we are facing. But to date, we didn't face complete stop on all the control operation in the region. We were able to manage and find solutions. City is optimistic they can keep finding solutions. But he said, to hit that best-case scenario... And remember, he said that's half a million people facing serious food shortages instead of four million. There has to be international cooperation to control the swarms before yet another generation of locusts starts flying. If we don't start controlling early, then the funding requirement to control six months later is going to be multiplied by 10 or by hundreds. So that's one of the big lessons. We must start controlling desert locusts as soon as we have the signals that the problem is going to be uh, of, uh, of a certain magnitude. Desert locusts obviously will impact on the livelihood of people, farmers, herders, pastoral communities. And then there is no... I would say a sequential approach. It's not that first we survey, then we control, then we take care of people. It has to take place simultaneously. From the day one, we have to start thinking on the impact that this desert locust will have on food security and on the livelihood of people altogether. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Dina Kispe and Graylin Bouchier who's also Al Jazeera's head of audio, along with Priyanka Tilvey, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Pilal. Alex Roldan was the sound designer. 
Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. Special thanks to Simon Monene. If you want to see what it's like to stand in the middle of a locust swarm in Kenya, from the comfort of your screen, we're sharing a few videos on our Twitter and Instagram accounts. Check them out at AJ The Take. The videos were taken by Dai Kurokawa and Daniel Irungu for the EPA FA News Agency. We'll be back. <laughs> 